0: And then somebody else actually said, and you know what, I'm in the middle of a staff vote campaign at the moment, you know, like a charity of the year thing. And all I want to do is to get us jumping up and down, being as excited as I am that we should be winning this partnership. It's not a small partnership, Ben. It's like a six, seven figure partnership. And yet my digital team, they're really fighting with us about putting this stuff on Twitter.
1: If, if at some level, you're already annoyed and you come across as defensive and your tone is, why is that, what, what's your problem? Already, I think they're less likely to truly open up and yeah. in a relaxed yeah. way, tell you what's really on their mind and what the real challenges are. In my experience, if you allow it to get to red hot disagreement, it's already a bit late
0: we realise, you know, actually, there's a couple of things that we could do to try and make our lives slightly easier and their lives easier too.
1: Welcome back to the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is episode 137. This is the show for fundraisers looking for ideas and maybe a dose of inspiration to help you enjoy your job and raise more money. Now, one tough challenge for many fundraisers that's unlikely to go away anytime soon is what to do when you need help from your colleagues. For instance, in order to improve corporate partnerships fundraising, or indeed any donor relationships. But your colleagues, well, they just don't buy into what needs to happen or what you'd like them to do. This internal conflict is often stressful, and it certainly makes growing your fundraising results very difficult. So to help, I'm about to share my discussion with corporate partnerships experts my colleague, Ben Swart. As well as coaching on the Corporate Mastery Programme, Ben also delivers excellent in-house training days and packages for fundraising teams, as well as more in-depth corporate partnerships consultancy to help charities make an internal step change in their results. As this podcast has grown and grown in the years since we started back in the autumn of 2019, I've realized that for listeners who discovered the show fairly recently, there's a good chance you've never heard the ones we put out in the early days. And I think that's a shame because a lot of those topics are still as relevant as ever. For context, we recorded this interview in 2021. Hello, and welcome to episode 58 of the Fundraising Bright Spots podcast. This is the show for anyone who works in fundraising and who wants ideas and a dash of inspiration to help you enjoy your job and raise more money. And in today's show, I'm so pleased to get a chance to chat to my friend Ben Swart and my colleague at Brightspot. Ben's worked with us at Brightspot for many years now. He's an expert and very
0: experienced corporate fundraiser. Ben, how are you? I'm really good. Thank you, Rob. I'm really pleased to be spending some time talking about my favourite subject as well.
1: Yeah. And I know you've been really busy recently because we're nearing the end of our Corporate Partnerships Mastery Program. So you've been doing a lot of the coaching for corporate fundraisers through that. So, and this is what we're going to talk about today is a key theme, which we often find really useful to give people some helpful advice and encouragement on. The topic is to do with the challenges of helping your colleagues within a charity. I care about fundraising, care about the donor's point of view and the company's point of view. And it's a cause of great frustration, especially for corporate fundraisers. But actually, I think the same is these kinds of frustrations happen for you, whatever kind of a fundraiser you are. Just in terms of introducing us to that idea, you know, you and I have both had these challenges for a lot of our career, they, they don't go away. But over time, I think we've learned some tactics to help Handle them and ways of looking at it that reduces f- stress for all concerned and helps the charity get better results what would you say to introduce us to to this as
0: a challenge so one of the reasons that we thought of it this week is because it was just a reoccurring theme in many of the coaching calls and whenever so I'm part of corporate partnerships leaders new business leaders group and um we catch up maybe once a month. Certainly pre-pandemic, we even had a coffee uh, and that now we do it virtually. And this topic of, it, feel, it feels like other people in my organisation are not always out to help me as much as I feel like they should. And uh, at times it felt a bit like maybe I'm just the unlucky one who has this personality in my charity, who's just too bolshy and assertive, and I can't seem to shift them. But actually, when we started getting together and talking about it, we realized that we all seem to have this challenge at various points, that our colleagues, sometimes in our uh, digital team, you know, like the social media team, maybe in our comms team, the services, occasionally it felt like we were trying to achieve completely different things within the same organization, uh, and it felt like we were clashing far more often than we needed to do. And in talking it through both with the people who are on the mastery course and with other colleagues, we realised that there's a couple of things that we could do to try and make our lives slightly easier and their lives easier too. But, yeah, it's that sort of – so often it feels like it's a personality issue or, oh, gosh, I just wish they weren't the person. Yeah,
1: and I guess it's worth saying at this early stage – This is a podcast primarily designed to help people who are fundraisers for a charity. But the truth is within any organization, within any charity, there are different objectives at play. Everyone's doing their best, whether through the way they do communications or service delivery or finance or reception. There are many different areas within a charity Most of us, we're trying to achieve the same overall mission, but there's different issues at play. So inevitably, you and I, a lot of our background is in fundraising. So we see it as the fundraiser's point of view. But the truth is, we might be listened to by a chief exec or a board member or someone who works in communications or finance. And they've got their equivalent version of why doesn't fundraising care more deeply about? So at the outset let's see this is a challenge for anyone who works in a charity rather than
0: especially a fundraising specific one or a corporate fundraising specific one absolutely and i'm reminded of so for those that don't know i've been in supportive care Uh, i've been in major gift fundraising helping philanthropists i've been on the side of people and training and hr and, and in corporate partnerships and leadership too and um I'm reminded of about eight to 10 years ago when I heard Tanya Steele talk, who is the now chief executive of WWF. And at that point, she was the director of fundraising and comms at Save the Children. Um, And she was talking about No Child Born to Die because that particular campaign had been incredibly successful. And we thought she was there to tell us about the innovative ideas that had come from making it successful. But actually, a whole host of her speech and presentation were about how proud she was that the people in lots of different teams were actually working together as one unit, which in an organization the size of Save the Children, I can imagine isn't always easy. And she said she was particularly proud because when she joined the charity sector, having come from the profit sector, she said when she worked outside of the charity sector at a company that was for profit, almost everyone knew why they were there. They were there because they everything they were doing was about making the product cheaper and the pro, and more profit and better customer service. Like it was those three things. It was really simple what they were there for. And so she said when the organization wanted everyone to come together for something, it felt easier. And she said she naively thought when she came across to our sector, our woolly jumpered sector, like that naively thought will be a like it will be that easy won't it because we'll all want to get on in harmony and she said actually really early on she realized that each team at Save the Children and probably elsewhere each team was waking up with their own reasons why they were there that day with their own aims and what she thought was I just need to tell people what I'd like them to do it didn't work. She really struggled for her first half a year. And then she said she just flicked, um, probably with the help, I think it was with the help of one of her coaches and mentors, she flicked a switch to say, I don't want to drag people, I want to try and take them with me. How can I understand how to help them so that I take them with me on this journey, instead of just sort of pushing them. And I remember that moment, it was like a sort of penny dropping moment for me, because when I thought back to all the times when internal challenges or other colleagues who who we've struggled with when things have suddenly changed it it came from when we were beginning to say actually let's stop butting horns let's actually spend a bit more time understanding them and in a
1: moment I'd love to get your take practically on how can we actually do that because lots of us sort of know that's true and we would even give others the advice that that's what they should do when they've got this kind of challenge but I know that in practice doing it when it's you that is not being listened to or whose reasonable needs are not being paid attention to, I know it's not always that easy to implement. So I'd love to get your take practically on some of the things that you do. And when you're coaching our clients, you do. But just before that, you were saying about uh, a group of corporate fundraisers who come together and your
0: your take on on this challenge. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, like I said, we we come together, and we th- there's reoccurring themes, you know. Do, how much should we value our brand for, and X Y Z question? And the thing that comes up quite a lot is the, the one example. Actually, it's quite specific. Was we were talking about a campaign, having a partnership, having a corporate partnership, and you were desperate to try and uh, on social media on Twitter. And on LinkedIn and on Facebook, one of the particular members of the group was talking about how all they wanted to do. And one of the things they talked through with their companies was to to advertise the product more that if you bought it, money went towards the charity. Um, And then somebody else actually said, and you know what? I'm in the middle of a staff vote campaign at the moment, you know, like a charity of the year thing. And all I want to do is to get us jumping up and down, being as excited as I am that we should be winning this partnership. It's not a small partnership, Ben. It's like a six-, seven-figure partnership. And yet my digital team, they're really fighting with us about putting this stuff on Twitter. And they keep telling us that we can't do it. And so inevitably we're having to go up hierarchy and force them, the opposite of what Tanya was saying. And it was really interesting. um, I I can't... um, I'm not going to give away her name or the charity that she worked for. But one of the people around the table said that she had the same problem until um, after the staff vote campaign, uh, they sat down with the team. Who the digital team to understand a bit more about? Actually, let's just do a wash up. Let's understand how how the you know how the pitch went and lots of other things. But let's do a wash up internally with the teams that we were talking to, especially if we wished it had been a bit easier, uh, like if if we'd butted horns. And she said in that meeting, um, the head of digital just started telling her things. That she had no idea about. So, if you didn't know this already, um, his entire job is based on every time they write a tweet, and, and like Twitter is unbelievably analytical, right? You, you can understand from the moment you push send how a tweet is performing, how many eyes have viewed it, how many engagements it's had, how many times they've clicked on your profile, how after that tweet, if you've got more followers. And the the head of digital said, look, the the one thing I am graded on is number of followers that we have. Can I increase it? And amount of engagement from our tweets. Like when we tweet, can it be liked? Can it be shared? Will people click on it? And she said he presented them with this graph that showed, here's what a normal tweet does in terms of followers and engagement and share. Here is what happens every time I did a tweet about encouraging people who work for Blah Company to vote for us. And it just nosedived. Like the engagement was a quarter of what it needed to be. They actually lost followers. And it was, she said, it was the first time she was just like, ah, like, I see why every time I was asking him to do these things, why why he wouldn't do it. And I guess what's interesting is that from that point, she then was like, well, you know, so we said, what did you do? And she said, well, actually, we wanted to know what is it that makes a tweet engaging? Now, what, help, help me, you're the digital fundraising expert, we're the corporate fundraising expert, what makes the tweet engaging? And there are a whole host of things, but one of it at its core was storytelling, you know, like people, People who are followers, I guess, think about it. People who follow the charity, care about the beneficiaries, care about the problem they're trying to solve. They like the stories and the real examples of of what the work does. So actually, we need to work harder. She needs to work harder in corporate fundraising to say, how do I link my tweets, my action of staff vote type stuff to a story? Like, "Oh, oh, okay, if you want a story, why don't I try and do nothing but a story? Anyway, it was really interesting exactly the same as conversations I've been having with lots of our mastery people this, this time around, actually, Rob. Teams, not digital teams, but teams who are experts in their field. You know, if we're, if we're talking about animal charities, you've got people who are absolute experts at the law behind what makes a company that sells animal products safer, who aren't happy with actions that a corporate partner has done. My work on the call, I think, is to try and help the fundraiser to work as hard as possible to just ask ourselves, what is life like from the services, from the policy leads point of view? And why is it that they see it this way? And Rob, I've been on enough bright spot courses to know that it's the classic beach ball metaphor that you use of if I'm holding a beach ball, the the colored segments that i can see will be different to the segments that the person opposite me can see you know they they just can't see it from my point of view i can't see it from theirs until i actively try to and so i know you were after tactics but it's really interesting this this with this problem coming up time and time again it was really interesting how actually when we pause and on a coaching call or right now person listening to this podcast when we pause and ask ourselves like point number one who is it internally that i'm having that i'm butting heads with and then the next thing you've got to do is classic test drives (laughs) i think classic conversations is tactic two is just get in front of them and understand why what is it about the situation you're asking for that makes their life so much harder what is it that they're that makes their life easier, you know, a bit like that head of digital explaining really clearly what makes a great tweet, what doesn't make a great tweet, really get under the skin of it. And, and I, and to, to be really clear, you are not going to get this answer from an email. You are not going to be able to give them a survey monkey and hope that they fill it in. You're going to get this because you are a fundraiser. You're you're a relationship builder. You're emotionally intelligent. You're going to get that time with them and you're going to cut beneath what they would normally say and understand. Just tell me really though, what is it? What, 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 what What's going on for you? And you'll notice that there will be two or three things.
1: Hi, it's Rob. And I wanted to jump in quickly to tell you about our two flagship training programmes. That's Major Gifts Mastery and the Corporate Partnerships Mastery programme. These programmes help you make serious progress through a combination of masterclasses with me and individual coaching or mentoring support. A key ingredient that makes them effective is that in addition to the techniques we teach, we also put great effort into helping you build your confidence and proactivity to reach out and set up conversations or project visits or so-called test drives with potential supporters. We've found that almost everyone who does these programs manages to at least double their results in this crucial area. To give you a sense of how powerful this can be, here is Lily Whitlam, partnership development manager at Great Ormond Street Hospital Children's Charity, talking about how it helped her.
2: I had had a session with my mentor and we had a discussion about, you know, what, what can I do to really press on those test drives? And it was just a case of chasing, chasing, you know, doing, putting together all that activity in December, knowing that in January, it would pay off with these test drives. And once I'd had them, I, yeah, as I said, I had six in total. um, And one of them has actually led to a million dollar donation from a company which is absolutely unbelievable and something that we didn't think would happen you know but i think it's just a testament to that that motivation that clear focus that i had kind of from the program and that focus activity between december and january and that's something i'll kind of i'll carry with me knowing that if you put in that effort in december for january when it's traditionally a quieter month people don't have much going on i mean i had the busiest january of my working career And it was because I had that motivation and that focus, I knew what I was doing and just the energy I felt from it. And again, I'm not gonna forget that energy. So I think it's only gonna make the work I do next stronger because I know what that feeling was like. And it's something that, yeah, I can celebrate and feel really proud of.
1: To find out more about either Major Gifts Mastery or Corporate Partnerships Mastery, go to brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. For now, Let's get back to my conversation with Ben. Such sound advice. And I just wanted to jump in and, and say a couple of things. In my experience, if you allow it to already to get into to red hot disagreement, it's already a bit late. Now, you can save the day by requesting a chat on the phone. But the best thing of all is rather than to expect to be able to influence someone by email and them say yes and it's all done, If there are these areas of contention that your instincts suggest this could go wrong, proactively seeking out a conversation in the first place rather than letting it turn into a a tit-for-tat, you know, it's already going wrong, a source of conflict. And the second thing I would suggest is I've learned that there's a certain way of asking that question about seeking to find out more. And if, if at some level you're already annoyed and you come across as defensive and your tone is, why is that? What, what's your problem? Now, you wouldn't say those words, but if in any way the person you're seeking to better understand receives that kind of judgment or defensiveness in you, already I think they're less likely to truly open up and yeah. in a relaxed yeah. way tell you what's really on their mind and what the real challenges are rather than you know, maybe the, the knee-jerk, official-sounding reasons why. And what I've found is it's almost impossible for us to positively influence someone in the sense of help them genuinely want to do an action rather than feel coerced. It's almost impossible if they feel judged. You have to take a step back. And even though this might be a frustrating or stressful situation for you and your ability to get your job done, you have to find a way to be calm enough to 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 embrace the truth that the mm. other person probably is just trying to do their job to the best of their ability. I don't yet fully understand what their model of the world is or what their challenges are, but I've got a curiosity to genuinely want to understand. And if that's your mindset and your energy, I think you're more likely to proactively seek a conversation where we can be honest with each other and be in that way of seeking information because you're curious. I think they're most likely to receive the signal that you're not judging them, you genuinely would like to know.
0: Yeah, absolutely, Rob. It feels so easy to say this when we're not in the thick of that frustration, but you reminded me that the times when I've managed to get that calmer conversation with them as quickly as possible have been when I have 100% assumed that it's something that I could have done differently. Even if I'm like, I still can't believe they acted in that way. Like, I'm not saying I believe that it's 100%. Sure that it's something I could have done differently, but that's framed how I have encouraged the conversation too. Like I get a sense that there are some things that could have been done differently from our side too. Yeah, yeah,
1: and and a thing uh, years ago that really helped me, and I wrote it down. I can't remember which which book I learned it from, but it was this notion of taking responsibility. And the author was saying, whenever there's there's a conflict, take responsibility. And in my head, I was thinking, I'm not taking responsibility. Clearly this was not my fault. And then the author said in the next paragraph, to take responsibility does not mean you're saying you did a thing wrong or it's your your fault. To take responsibility means it is within your control to do something differently to increase the chances that you get a bit better result for you and for them. So that really helped me. I didn't have to say, oh, it's all my fault, if genuinely I, d- I don't believe that to be true, but to embrace the truth that potentially I could do something differently to increase the chances that between the two of us, we take things in a more productive direction.
0: Definitely. And it it always makes me think of, um, I'm going to get the brand completely wrong, but I think it's Domino's Pizza who say that treat every customer as if they're worth $10,000 because that's the lifetime value of them. And that shifts the way that a Domino's Pizza person treats the customer. Um, In fundraising, I feel like it's treat every one of your colleagues like they're a million pound donor. How would you act if you knew that this conversation and this person, it, it could be the reason that, that unlocked the next million pounds?
1: Yeah, that's brilliant. And uh, I think what's so interesting about this topic is lots of fundraisers who come on our courses have become really good at doing a version of this in relation to the corporate partner, the major donor, the trust or the individual giver. They work really hard at this first step. It's just something about when it's internal, in some sense, because we think we shouldn't have to. Surely our whole organisation should automatically see the value of treating partners and donors in a more enlightened way. It's that, that sort of disconnect with our expectation of what should happen here yeah. compared to what does happen here that causes us to skip this crucial first step of taking responsibility um, and in our corporate, and our major gifts courses, a key thing we teach and we help people get better at is if you really seek to positively influence someone, first, seek to understand and appreciate their world. Listen as much as you can. And then after you've understood and appreciated their world, whatever you've got to say, say it informed by what you've learned about and cared about to do with their world. And that largely is, is the point we're making here. What's so interesting is often it gets missed out in the context of our internal relationships because we think we shouldn't have to. The second thing that needs pointing out is sometimes people say, well, I have understood. And I say, but have you appreciated? So there's two bits to the the, the concept. If you really, really care about getting a good result on your fundraising project, first seek to not only understand the other person, the colleague's model of the world, but also to appreciate it. And that second one is often what's missing and why it, it comes across like we're judging them or criticising them. It's that second one is it's not only to see, oh, they've got these different targets. Yeah, but they should see my target. It's, but to, to emotionally appreciate how tough it can be doing whatever role or how how challenging it could be to be judged on X and also expected to do Y doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, but to emotionally appreciate that it may be tough, even just doing that often causes a big shift in our energy approaching these conversations.
0: Absolutely, Rob. And I guess that's back to those tactics of number one, who is it that you would like to have a better working relationship with? Then number two, why is it that you think they are doing this? You might not even need the meeting to begin with. You might, that is quite so often what we talk about on our coaching calls is put yourself in their shoes. Why, why do you think they're acting in this way? And you're right, when you start appreciating their world, you begin to realize how you can be the bridge across. Because then the third thing is, maybe you do it on your own or maybe you do it in conversation with them. You begin to realize how you, how we can help them get what they need to get to and will you find that middle ground whether that is on the you know on the coffee catch ups that we had whether our colleague realising actually well what I can put a story into this that means that it's more engaging or whether it's something else what is the compromise that you can find that means that it works it will will be out there Um, and there is also the third thing fourth thing even which is uh, there's a book, and I think it's called Decisive, uh, by Chip Heath. Um, and it, it always asks the question of, actually, do you need it in the first place? Like, But one thing that fascinates me about staff votes is I'm hugely competitive, and I think that lots of other charities are too. I have yet to find a partnership that's been won because a charity has tweeted, and that tweet has been picked up by someone who has leapt from the tweet to in turn, like... The truth of all of, of, of it is actually in some cases we're fighting the fight because it's just what we've always done rather than asking ourselves whether we, we really should in the first place. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a side point. Pause and think through who is it I need to influence? How can I understand them? How can I appreciate them? And then how do we compromise on what it is we need to do next? And, you know, from that, I've got coaching clients now who the commercial side of their organization, weren't, wasn't, weren't, they weren't talking to them at all. They were constantly butting heads. They were both talking to the same companies at the same time. And now they're realizing how they work together. They're co-authoring proposals. They're co-delivering events together because they see how, how it works and and they're making progress. Life is just significantly easier for them once we stopped I think, drawing a battle line in the middle and sort of dive over to their side.
1: Yes, Ben, this is all making sense to me. Could you give us a couple of examples of of the, the shifts that have happened in practice when you or a, a fundraiser you coach has actually got, uh, followed through on these steps? Maybe starting with what was different about the negotiation with the social media team you were mentioning at the beginning and then, and then
0: anything else you can think of? Yeah, absolutely. The social media team, you're right. Once it, it it sounded like the moment that it became clear just how dangerous it was to do nothing but tweet about charity of the year for followers and engagement. Um, But that what made great content was stories, especially if linked to brands that their audience cares about. Um, They they came up with this agreement that, fine, we will co-author with you tweets and content that we know work to do with this subject. They said that they would now make it more story-like. They would deliberately find employees to talk a bit more so that it's a bit of a real person. There's a story around it. Or or they'd use beneficiaries. Or they talk about if we won the money, where that went a, a lot more than just please vote. And the second thing is that it enabled them to then say, okay, if we promise to do this, how many times is it okay for you to tweet about this and when's the best times? And out of a flat no... <laughs> Uh, with very good reason why they they ended up with, well, we will agree to tweet 10 times for you over a period of like four days. Um, it, and together we'll work on what that content looks like, which will get the most engagement. And so suddenly you've gone from forcing them to do bad tweets that don't work for anyone <laughs> to co-authored tweets relatively regularly that work far, far better than anything else and that were actually picked up on by their current supporters and tweeted and engaged and started beating other rates too so what i love about that is this middle way is not a
1: compromise in the sense of a lukewarm version of the result i wanted because you take the trouble to take responsibility try and understand appreciate and then together find ways to, to get what you both want. You end up with a better result because surprise, surprise, you're working with the expertise of your colleague who knows about social media or finance or service delivery or whatever. Kind of, there's probably a reason why they were initially saying no. And within that reason, there's the potential for you to benefit from their expertise and their wisdom. So I love that. I know that there's a, a charity that's attached to a sports club and they've made great progress uh, for instance in in this area could you tell me the, the gist of what the difficulty was and how this approach helped
0: yeah definitely so it's a it's a sports club and especially when the pandemic first hit and all sports stopped. And this is a club who, because they're a sports club, they'll have lots of commercial revenue and lots of commercial ties, sponsors of T-shirts, sponsors on hoardings, sponsors of beer, etc. Without people in a stadium, it's very hard for them to generate commercial interest. So suddenly that team was under huge pressure. The exact same companies that the commercial team wanted to talk to were the ones that the foundation associated them wanted to talk to too for, for good reason it's a similar sort of audience but they were competitive and either preventing them from talking to them or both in the end talking to the same company at the same time which we all know like oh it's, it's damaging and painful but the, what they wanted was for their audience for their clients for their prospects to get more engagement from them you know they wanted to make sure that the audience they promised that would turn up to a a match, they wanted to ensure that they were engaging with the content. And so the commercial team felt a bit stuck because there was literally no sport and no way to do it. But what we know and what we teach in our Corporate Mastery course is that the stories we tell, the work that we do, is hugely engaging to the right audience, especially if they happen to be connected to this sports team. So the foundation were finding that when they talked about their work on social media... And in other ways, the very audience that the commercial team wanted to talk to absolutely loved it. And so it was almost precisely the reason that you're scared to work with us is the very reason why you should work with us. And so that's when they started looking at events they could run together, looking at ways that they could look at both of their pipelines together and say, who could we go for? And actually what they found, Rob, was that when they approached one of their commercial team's biggest clients with an idea of how they could help, the beneficiaries of the foundation, how they could help with engagement in the local community during the pandemic. The content they made around that, the videos that they made, whether that was emailed out or put on Twitter or Facebook, got five times more engagement than what the commercial team had been putting out before. And suddenly the commercial teams were like, this is exactly what we want fantastic
1: Ben I, I know we need to get things finished um, thank you so much for sharing your ideas of why this challenge can happen in, in charities large and small and your tactics you found to really help best of luck with your fundraising for now Ben I look forward to catching up with you very soon but for now thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your tips so there you go As always, there's a transcript and short summary of this episode in the podcast section of our Bright Spot Fundraising website. If you found the show interesting and you think it would help others too, please do share it with your team and with other charities. Thank you so much for your help. And if you'd like to go deeper, and you'd like to find out more about our two flagship programmes, that's the Corporate Partnerships Mastery or Major Gifts Mastery programme, which have now helped hundreds and hundreds of fundraisers grow fundraising income over the last nine years, or if you're interested in some in-house training for your team, or indeed, if you'd like to make a big positive shift in the way your charity approaches corporate partnerships overall, and you'd like to hear more about our corporate partnerships consultancy, next level service that Ben provides, check out the info on our website, which is brightspotfundraising.co.uk forward slash services. Finally, I know there's a good chance that you've already subscribed to the Fundraising Bright Spots show, but if you've not, please do follow us now. I'm super excited about the new episodes we're releasing over the next few weeks, and I'd hate for you to miss those. Do let us know what you think about today's episode. On Twitter or X, Ben is at Ben Swart, and I am at Woods underscore Rob, and we're both on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening today. Best of luck solving your internal influencing challenges and growing your corporate partnerships income and I look forward to sharing more Bright Spot stories with you very soon.